Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 99, Physician on Fire. Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Welsh. So Katie, today we got a very special guest and that's Physician on Fire. I really enjoyed this conversation, Dang, just because I felt like we could talk about so many different things. Right, and doctors do really have a different story to tell, don't they? They start earning money a lot later than the rest of us, but then they're earning significantly more money. So it's definitely a different stance. Well, not always. Sometimes they get very lucky, but... Yeah, a lot of them have massive student loans as well. So it takes a significant amount of money to be able to train up to be a doctor. I mean, it's like seven years worth of studying. So they really managed to get major debt. And obviously that's meant to be offset by higher salaries. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting perspective because they do start their money earning careers much later than most of us who just get like accounting degrees or teaching degrees. Um, and you can, I've heard it's, it's common for people in the medical profession to kind of go awry in their financial life. So I was really happy to hear some of the really great advice that Physician on Fire had. Yeah, and his website is a wealth of information as well. I love how it isn't just catered towards doctors, but he focuses on patients as well and lets people like know what to do when they're given major bills and stuff like that. And, you know, it really like as a patient, that's something that you should really be aware of because medical bills can be massive. Yeah, so are you ready to dive into the interview? Yeah, let's dive right into our interview. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey, Chainers. Welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today, we have a legend in the personal finance space, Leaf, who started Physician on Fire. 
Physician on Fire is a personal finance website created to inform and inspire both physicians and their patients with insightful writing, both from a physician who has attained financial independence and the ability to retire early. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here chatting with you, Dennis and Katie, and I uh, really appreciate the offer for the interview. So glad to be here with you. Yeah, of course. So I have a quick question for you because when people think about becoming a doctor, I feel like being a doctor and student loans kind of go hand in hand together. So I just want was going to be a little bit nosy and ask, like, did you graduate with student loans? And if you did, um, what was your strategy when paying them off? That is a great question. And the average student that has student loans now is finishing with about $200,000 in debt when they finish medical school. And then it only increases for most people because you don't make enough money in residency, which can be anywhere from three to seven years to really make any progress paying those back. Um, when I graduated back in 2002, the average was closer to a hundred thousand and my debt was about 60,000, give or take. Okay. So not terrible. And so it wasn't too bad. I, I had a lot of scholarships. I came out of undergrad in the black, uh, with a little bit of work and a lot of scholarship money and staying at my home, uh, state public institution, the university of Minnesota. And so uh, in medical school, I did start to accrue some debt, but um, I carried it f- until about, it's probably been six, seven years since I paid it off just in, in one lump sum after making minimum payments on a 25-year payment plan for about 10 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I was one of the lucky ones in a way. Um, I think about 15 or 20% of students graduate with no debt because they're coming from families that are capable of paying for all their tuition. And, you know, maybe my kids will be in a better situation and, and that might be the case for them. Uh, I'm saving money for their college education in a 529 plan. But I, um, you know, like I said, there are people, if the average is 200,000 of those indebted graduates, the numbers for some of them are four or 500,000. And then you get maybe a couple that meets in medical school at a private school where tuition is 40, 50,000 a year they might have close to a million dollars in debt between the two of them. So yeah, I'm grateful that was not me. That's a ton of money to pay off. And and I think that without looking into personal finance, you can really get yourself in a bit of a, a, a little bit in a hole, right? <laughs> it's a conundrum, you know, and uh, it, it almost forces some of those docs to choose the higher paying specialties and maybe steer away from primary care, even if, even if that might've been their dream early on, just because if you're gonna make 150, 200,000 a year, and you're 30, 30 some years old when you start with that kind of debt, you want to start a family and buy a house. Well, you have to choose, right? <laughs> you have yeah. to pay for something. And, you know, student loan payments are the bulk of your uh, income. That that doesn't leave much yeah, to do th- anything else. That's definitely true. So speaking about different fields of medicine and stuff like that, I wanted to ask you if you could go back and change your career path, would there have been a different type that you'd prefer to do? I'm really happy with the, my choice of anesthesia. It, it fits well with my my personality and the style and the way I like to work. Um, so I wouldn't go back and change anything. If I was good, going to do anything different going forward, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, I'm contemplating retirement and thinking about what that will mean for the future. I'm, I'm pretty excited, but at times I wonder if I might miss it. And I see addiction medicine as being something that's really important and really needed by our population. And it's 
an area that in anesthesia, well, we're pretty familiar with these medications or drugs that uh, people are becoming addicted to. And so I think if I were to maybe switch careers at this point, I could see doing something to help out with the addiction problem. That's really interesting because, yeah, there is, it just seems like all the time on the news you hear about, you know, people who are just, they struggle with it. Right. And, you know, we were told 10, 20 years ago that if people need you know, opioid medications, pain medications for surgery, they won't get addicted. They're using them for pain. But sadly, many people that did end up addicted, it may have started with something simple like a carpal tunnel uh, you know, surgery, which you can get by with Tylenol, ibuprofen for the most part for pain afterwards. But, you know, once people start with uh, the heavier duty narcotic pain medication, certain uh, percentage of them have a hard time getting off. Yeah. When I, uh, when I was younger, I got sick and my doctor prescribed, um, I don't remember what he prescribed, but it was a harder like pain pill. And mm -hmm. first of all, it made, I took like one and it made me so sick. Like I, I couldn't take it. Like I would rather just suffer than feel that sick, like on top of already being sick. And my mom mm -hmm. told me, she was like, this is why like you don't, do drugs and do stuff because when you are sick and you need the drugs, you need your body to be able to use them the way they are. They're meant to be. Well, that's a tough way to learn that lesson, but that's a lot better outcome than having <laughs> taken the pill and been like, Oh wow, this is amazing. Where do I get more? Right. That's yeah, true. So oh, I'm sorry you were sick, but probably uh, for the best in the long yeah, run. I mean, Katie was actually quite a sickling uh, when she was growing up. She, she I has, but she has those weird kind of diseases that yes. like you hear of like one in three million get. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. I don't get like a common cold. Like I, I never have like a stuffy nose or anything. I get weird things like the mumps or Bell's palsy, Bell's palsy. West Nile or something <laughs> yeah. like the other day for my new job. I had to go get a TB shot like the Well, not a shot, but like to check whatever. Yeah. To make PPP. sure I don't have it or whatever. Yeah. And the whole time I was just like, I know how my body handles this kind of thing. I hope I don't die later. Like <laughs> this is a new job. I don't want to like start like getting sick in the middle of the day or something. Thankfully, I don't have TB and I didn't get sick. So oh, good for you. That's a win and a win. Yeah, yeah. I got bit by a deer tick not long ago, the one that causes Lyme disease, you know, um, but I found him pretty quickly within 12 hours and got on some antibiotics just in case. Because yeah. I don't want one of those weird diseases either. No, it's not good no. to have. Yeah, so we were on the way back from South Africa and Katie <sighs> got the mumps. And no, hold on. <laughs> You're not telling the whole story first. <laughs> hold on now. So before we went, my mom is my mom is a little bit hesitant about me going to South Africa because I am sickly and I catch weird things. <laughs> and so the only way I could really go was... I promised I would get all my shots done. So mm -hmm. I got the typhoid. Including your MMR, the measles, mumps, and rubella shot, I hope. Uh, well, and I booster, maybe. That actually wasn't on the list. And I had. Yeah, had you, you should have had them long ago, right? Yeah, I, I've had it yeah. three times. I had the MMR, <laughs> um, like when I started kindergarten, I guess. And then I got it again when I went to college. So. Yeah, it was super, super unlikely that I would get it. And you're a teacher, so yeah. you're, you're exposed to children all the time. So, right. um, but I got the typhoid fever shot, which I I thought was going to kill me. I literally thought I was going to die. 
Uh, um, I took the oral vaccine for that recently. Yeah. Oh, it was that was brutal. And then when we got back from South Africa, I ended up with the mumps. And nobody, wow. like, because I'm young and I had had my MMRs and everything, nobody at the hospital I was at thought that it was the mumps. So right. they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So then they put me in, like, an isolated quarantine. And let me tell you, nothing makes you feel more like a leper than mm-hmm. being in, like, a quarantine. And the doctor has to come in with, like, a mask on, like, and gloves and, like, the whole outfit. Yeah. And the yellow paper gown. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Not, and, then, and then they're, like, running all these different scans because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And then I had, like, the health department calling me, telling me I had the mumps. And I didn't really know what the mumps were. So I, like, panicked. Wasn't that the phone yeah. on CDC that phoned you? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, it was a, a little bit of a traumatizing experience. So Yeah, so, so Katie gets weird stuff. <laughs> I'm glad someone got to the bottom of it anyway. Yeah. And you're better now. You're well. Uh, yeah, I mean, apparently... As I, well, well for you, you're well. Yeah. <laughs> I've, apparently I had a mild case of the mumps. It only took about okay. two weeks for it to go away completely. Okay. So anyway, so that was way off topic now that, you know, we've talked all about my history, my medical history. But um, so I wanted to ask because a lot of times people in the medical field, they I've read a lot that people in the medical field don't really pay attention to like saving and investing and everything. They kind of live that like lifestyle of like a surgeon or a doctor or even a nurse where they just spend a lot of money because they make a lot of money. And because of that, they are one of the higher um, career paths that can fall into bankruptcy. So I was wondering where did you learn about like financial independence and really working towards that instead of taking your really nice salary and, you know, going and buying like a really nice house and a really nice car and going on really great vacations where did that balance come for you? Yeah, you're, you're definitely on to something. I, uh, I saw a study by Fidelity that, that said about half of physicians that had access to a 401k were not maxing it out at the 18,000. It's now 18,500 a year. Uh, it was just a couple of years ago. And, and you're right. A lot of physicians see their you know, $200,000, $300,000 salary and uh, will assume A, they'll do this job forever because they love it when they're fresh out. And, and, and be that they're rich, even though they're actually 200 or $400,000 in debt at age 30. And they, you know, they have a lost decade basically where, you know, their friends, uh, from college are, have been in a career job. So, um, personally I didn't uh, go down that path of spending, like you said, on the really nice car. I did build a pretty nice house fairly shortly after I got out. But uh, a couple of things, I think my dad did a really good job of instilling certain values in me. He was a dentist and, you know, made pretty good money in a small town, but uh, we, we didn't really look the part, you know, he and his best friend who was a, an auto body man would, would find salvage cars and fix them up together. And, and that's what he would drive. And we'd go to garage sales, we'd go to thrift stores and, we just, uh, you know, grew up in a way that we we had money, but we didn't spend that much money. And I, I saw how they lived a you know a good life that way. And my dad always worked four day work weeks and took long weekends and took nice vacations. But yeah, it, so watching them grow up that way. And then when I was just getting out of residency, I I read The Millionaire Next Door, and mm-hmm. I read that how you just described uh, physicians are 
known to be, uh, they call them under accumulators of wealth, UAWs. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. And because they, they spend a lot of their money and they're, they're starting, you know, way, way, way behind the eight ball at, at age 30 something. So I didn't want that to be me. And I, I knew I was pretty happy with my life the way it was living on, you know, as a resident, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a year. And so I just upgraded my lifestyle a little bit, took a few nice vacations, but, you know, kept driving a crappy car and I still drive a 2006, which is the car that I drove. It's a Chevy HHR from uh, back when I finished residency. So uh, to me, just building up a, a nice portfolio was kind of my reward for having worked hard and, and starting to make good money. I just, I like, I like watching that balance grow. Yeah. And it's definitely going to pay dividends in years to come. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's nice to hear that, you know, your family taught you to kind of live that frugal lifestyle and then you kind of just kept on with it because that's probably more of what you knew anyway. Yeah, it worked for them and I, I never really had expensive tastes. And so, you know, I'm kind of a three star, three and a half star type, <laughs> type of guy. I don't need the five star experience all around. You know, four seasons is a little too nice for me. I start to feel uncomfortable when people are trying to grab my bags and help me out of the car. I'm like, <laughs> I can you know, backpack and carry my stuff for miles and miles. I don't I don't need to be pampered like that. In fact, it's probably better for you. <laughs> so you mean yeah. you don't like the uh, what is it? The crumb scoop thing at um at the like the nice re- steak restaurants and everything oh. <laughs> yeah yeah they, they want to tuck your napkin into your shirt or something for you i'm like ah, i can yeah. i can handle I, <laughs> yep, i'm a big boy <laughs> i think i got this one <laughs> yeah. yeah somehow i managed without you before you know when i was eating <laughs> dinner at home yesterday but. and hopefully i'll make it without you tomorrow yeah exactly <laughs> So what is some advice you would give the younger version of yourself knowing what you know now? You know, I, I did mention building a very large home or a very nice home. Uh, and this was in 2007, 2008. So you probably know that uh, homes, you know, bought or built at that time lost a lot of value shortly thereafter. And so I, I built the big doctor home, 4,000 square feet, uh, waterfront property, you know, granite everywhere, hardwood everywhere. And it was, it was quite a house, but within a, a few years, that hospital where I was working in this one small town ended up going bankrupt. And, uh, and then, then there weren't really, you know, anybody in town that could afford a house like that to sell. And I ended up losing about a quarter million dollars from what we had into it versus what we sold it for after realtor fees. So I would not make that mistake again. I remember people talking about, uh, oh, you can get a starter home here in town. I'm like, starter home? I'm a doctor. What <laughs> 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 about starter home? What, do you, what was this nonsense you talk of? <laughs> yeah, I thought I was big timer, you know, but um, and they, yeah, they were asking the right questions. We should have started with a starter home. That's why they call it a starter home. Anyway, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, like you say, physicians do get paid pretty well and you can recover from some pretty big mistakes as long as you don't make them all over the place repeatedly. And I really only had that one big money mistake. Well, and I feel like most people have, you know, their one big money mistake. So I feel like, you know, it happens. You live and learn. Right. Yep. Learn the lesson. So you are also a father. I am. You have, is it two little boys? 
Yep. Two boys. They are seven and nine years old going into third and fourth grade now in a couple weeks. That's very exciting. I'm sure their teacher's looking forward to that. But um, so what are you doing to kind of help them get, you know, their financial frugal preparedness, like how your family was doing for you with kind of just incorporating into your family atmosphere, like being frugal and everything. Are you teaching your sons now, like about like their five, their 529. Thanks. I don't know why I was like 545. (laughs) I was like, that's not right. But are you teaching them about being frugal and managing money and everything now? Or what what is your kind of plan? We have been, I think, a little bit all along in in age-appropriate ways. Um, Just like my parents did, we're modeling, I think, what I think is good behavior, good financially responsible behavior. And they were also uh, giving them a a little bit of an allowance if they do, you know, certain... uh, and chores help around the house and they get a dollar in their save jar, a dollar in their spend jar and a dollar in their give jar. And then every fall or winter, we let them choose a charity to give some of that money to. Um, and we've got something we call the bank of mom and dad. And that <laughs> is a Google spreadsheet that keeps track of their balances because they would get birthday money, they get Christmas money and we don't want them just to spend it all. So it would end up in a piggy bank and eventually the piggy bank had a few hundred dollars in it just sitting there waiting to be lost or stolen or whatever. And uh, so we just, we just took the money and put it in our bank account and then wrote down the amount on a ledger. And then every month I give them a 1% interest uh, for the month. And so they can see their balance go from $450 to $454 and 50 cents for doing nothing. And so they're learning to leave their money alone and watch it grow, which I think is good for them. And we do talk quite a bit about just the cost of things and not just like the price of bananas, but the cost of the electricity and paying our mortgage and the taxes that we pay and all these things. So we didn't talk about the blog for the first couple years. I just I didn't I don't know. I didn't want them maybe talking to their friends at school about it and then their parents asking questions. (laughs) And so um, because I've been pretty much anonymous for the most part. And uh, just over the summer, we, we told them about my money blog and, and kind of talk to them about how, how I can make money online. And, and we're trying to teach them to be better writers and they, they, they do really good with math and they do well in most of their schooling, but they, they're kind of crappy writers. So we're trying to help them there. I'm showing you can make money writing even, you know, if you do it well. So, yeah. So lots of things that we're doing. It's definitely an interesting world that, you know, like children are growing up into these days, you know, it's all sort of about the side hustle and what are the skills you've learned and what are the ways there are to make money. And I think teaching them sort of this building blocks that you have been doing is definitely the right way to go, you know, start them from a young age where they can sort of see their money growing. And, you know, I think so many children are kind of deprived of that, you know, personal finance is a space where people don't like to talk about it, especially to their children and anything like that, you know? So sort of getting them involved from a younger age, even if it's just showing them their savings growing is massive. Yeah. I think that you adding on that 1% interest and then letting them see how it grows. I mean, if I was a kid, I would probably want to keep my money in there too. Like, well, man, I get more money by not doing anything. This is wonderful. Yeah, five bucks a month for just uh, letting it sit there. And I, I taught them the the rule of 72 the other day. We we do family runs and just 
think of, you know, I come up with things to talk about. And I remember my dad telling me about the rule of 72 when I was a little bit older, maybe 11 or 12, uh, just how you can double your money with a certain interest rate in X number of years. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of figured that out, you know, oh, so if you get 12% on your money, it will double in six years. And that's really cool. Yeah. You just have to leave it invested and don't spend it. And yeah, that's worked well for me. So that's what I hope they learn to do as well. Well, I think they're definitely on the right track. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Chainers, if you're serious about growing your money, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash passive-income. Passive income is all the rage today and you really want to have as many income streams as possible and make your money work for you. This post is an absolute goldmine of information. Definitely check it out. That's chainofwealth.com slash passive-income. Okay, so why do you think people struggle to achieve their dream? Well, I guess it depends on their dreams, but one thing a lot of people don't really do or think about is is what is that dream? What goal are they aiming to achieve? And if you don't have a clearly defined goal or target or destination, well, you're certainly not going to make really good progress towards it. Um, yeah, and then I think... Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a pretty general, vague question. But I, if you have any more specific <laughs> thing you're looking for, I, it's meant I, to be I, a vague I, question. It's it's kind of very uh, yeah, open ended. So, right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we, we normally with these last kind of questions in the um, value link round, we like to sort of make people think a bit. And it's very interesting seeing what people come up with. You know, like leaving right. them very open. <laughs> and they're all the same question, and people have different answers all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, a big reason people don't achieve their dreams is they don't really have a, a well-defined path to get there either. They just haven't really thought about what actual steps need to be taken to get from where I am now to this place I want to be. And it might be small steps, but you have to have really actionable ideas to start to make progress. Yeah, and you're completely right. So do you have any other books or podcasts you could recommend to our listeners? I do. I I mentioned The Millionaire Next Door. I think that's a, a, just a timeless you know, classic that tells you, you people that look rich are probably not, and the people that don't look rich might actually be. Um, for physicians and other high-income professionals, I thought The White Coat Investor, it's a basically a self-titled book based on Dr. Jim Dolly's uh, website and called the white coat investor. And that's a really good one. And it's a pretty quick read. I think it's under 200 pages. Um, as far as podcasts, uh, I'm in the financial independence space. And so I, I discovered the mad scientist uh, a few years ago when he's interviewed just about every fire blogger you could uh, Im- imagine. And uh, the more recently, the guys choose FI that's Brad and Jonathan. They're doing a great job putting out two podcasts a week and uh, they're just crushing it. Um, back to physicians. There's a couple really good ones that I've enjoyed and have been a guest on. That's uh, Docs Outside the Box by Nee Darko. And he's you know, oftentimes speaking to the, uh, the side hustle, the side gig, and, and just doing something outside the box uh, as a physician. 
And then the Hippocratic Hustle is one by Dr. Carrie Reynolds. And she's doing something similar um, from a female perspective. And most of her guests are, are female. I was the first uh, dude to show up on the show. So I had that honor. Representing. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> um, and I don't know if I'm the greatest podcast guest. I, I listen to other people who are much more articulate. And I think, yeah, they are. They're really good at this. And I, I just stumble over my words most of the time. But I, I do enjoy listening to the podcast and uh, occasionally uh, getting to interact with the hosts such as yourselves. Yeah, well, I think you've done a great job. And I stumble over my words, too. I feel like it makes it a little more... Relatable. Pers- yeah, relatable, <laughs> personable. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're just real people, <laughs> so, normal people. Do you have a favorite quote? Um, favorite quote. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I Any also like. Why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is happy hour, though. I haven't had any anything to drink tonight. Um, <laughs> and then I I think it might be Henry Ford that said it, but. Um, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. And I think that is a really good one, especially in talking about achieving your dreams and talking about side hustles and, and uh, just trying to get ahead. You know, if you think you can't do it, you're probably right. If you think you can, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Yeah, it's definitely true. Leaf, we've absolutely loved hanging out today. Do you have any other last parting piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. All right. Um, yeah. Last piece of advice. Uh, keep reading, keep listening, keep learning. Uh, every day is a school day. There you go. Chen is we hanging out with Leaf from Physician on Fire. You can check out his website. It's physicianonfire.com. And it really is a fantastic resource for anyone out there. Definitely check out this website. Chainers, we're totally pumped. We got to hang out with you today and we hope you enjoy today's chat with Position on fire. Before we go, we've got one last thing. We've got some homework for you guys. Katie, what's the homework? Yeah, so your homework is to tweet me at Chain of Wealth, or if you don't have a Twitter, you can email us at info at Chain of Wealth what your favorite takeaway. Info <laughs> at Chain of Wealth dot com, in case you didn't know that. What your favorite takeaway from this episode was. We'll catch you on the flip side, Chainers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.